0: Good morning, folks. It's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. Good morning folks. Welcome to Democratic Perspective. Steve Williamson here. We've got a really good show for you today and and uh we have a full house. Karen McClellan is sitting across from me and so is Stephen Hanks. And we have um I think a a, a guest that you're really going to enjoy hearing from. And um I'll let Stephen introduce him. It's, it's Miles Taylor. Uh, the author of the original anonymous article, which I actually read in the New York Times right when it was written. And when I read it, I was skeptical. I thought, are there really this many good guys keeping Trump from doing terrible things? And I think that all the evidence is that that uh, Miles Taylor's article was accurate about the people trying to steady Trump's hand and keep him from doing something
1: really horrible. So, Stephen, you want to introduce our guest? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so, if for the people that don't know who Miles Taylor is by this point, and if if anybody follows politics on a regular basis, especially. Uh, watches MSNBC religiously like I do, Um, they would know Miles. But uh, for those who don't, uh, I'll I'll just give a a brief rundown. So uh, in addition to writing the anonymous book, which um, kind of was the kickoff almost to what we're going to experience today, and we'll talk about that when we, we get into it with Miles. But Miles served in the administrations of George Bush and Donald Trump. Uh, which I'm sure he regrets at this point. In the Trump administration, he was an appointee who served in the Department of Homeland Security, including as Chief of Staff of the Department. And he had been recruited, uh, into the department by former DHS Secretary, who became White House Chief of Staff, John Kelly. In May 2022, Miles announced he was leaving the Republican Party over what he claimed was his espousal. Of great replacement theory, um, as spe- Okay, is he off? We, we lost him. Go okay. ahead. Go ahead with the introduction, okay. Stephen. Uh, we we just lost Miles. We're going to get him back briefly. Uh, he he said um, he left the party over what he claimed was its espousal of great replacement theory rhetoric, especially in the wake of the mass killing of African Americans in Buffalo this past year. He said, it's become glaringly obvious that my party no longer represents conservative values, but in fact poses a threat to them and to America. He announced the creation of the Forward Party in July 2022. Um, And I think it's perfect timing. I think Karen and Steve, you'd agree with me. The timing of having Miles today when the House January 6th Committee is going to announce their criminal referrals is... uh, You you couldn't write it up better. So Miles' central point, when he first uh,
0: gained notoriety, was he was anonymous. He was in the administration. He was pretty high up. He was attending all the meetings with Trump. And he told the story about all these, I guess you'd say, traditional conservatives, traditional Republicans, who were blocking Trump's worst instinct, keeping him from doing the worst kind of thing possible. And... As I said, all the evidence that has come out, all the testimony in the January 6th committees have backed up uh, that notion. Go ahead. Miles, are you back?
2: Hey, guys. Yeah, you lost me for a second. Uh, No. You You missed my incredible. It was the perfect. Lead in in terms of time. Yeah, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, to get disconnected and
1: come I just back read again. your whole How Wikipedia. I, you, I just read your whole Wikipedia page, Miles. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then, well, and I, then he I'm read sorry it backwards for all listeners, but uh, that worked out well for everyone.
0: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I'll, I'll say this, Miles. I always, I kind of hoped you'd stay with the Republican Party because I've been looking for, you know, old fashioned conservative Republicans like the ones I uh, argued with when I was a kid. And uh, I see that you've moved on. You gave up on the Republican Party. I'm not criticizing that, but, you know, I kind of like. I like the fact that uh, they were trying to do something within the party. You have a new party that you've created, right, with
1: the Forward Party. The Forward Party. What what's that what's that all about? I mean, what was the motivation for um creating that party and and how do you define what what that what the goal of that is? Yeah, so
2: you know, look I, I would say uh, I'd say this. First of all, uh, apologies that I couldn't be your favorite conservative anymore. Actually, sorry, correction. <laughs> I'm still a conservative. Uh, My I'm just heart's not a Republican. broken. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll give you the background on, on forward. And, and really it's this. It, it, it's an experiment. Okay. And, and right now, 50% of Americans now say they are political independents. 50%. Mm. It's a historic number, it's the largest that number has ever been since modern polling Started and two thirds of Americans for the first time ever say they want more choices in the political system. Uh, now here's a reality that I confronted after I outed myself, after I left the Republican Party. One thing I realized is my friends who were Democrats at the highest levels, all the way into the Biden administration, who wanted Republicans like me to come to the Republican uh, to come to the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. uh, they had no hope. They had no hope of that because. You're never going to convince someone who was in the Republican tribe their whole lives to come over to the Democratic tribe, especially when the Democratic tribe is having its own reckoning with far left and moderates. Uh, it's going to be really tough to bring them over. But what you can do is you can go create this tribe for the tribe list to make sure those disaffected conservatives will go caucus with the pro-democracy side. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And that's one of the things that I personally have hoped Forward could help do is be a home for those folks who know they don't belong in the Republican Party anymore. They're not ready to go join the Democratic Party, but you still want those voters to be activated and you want to give them the opportunity, again, to coalition campaign with the pro-democracy side. So that was a personal motivation for me. Bigger picture, I mean, we want to create more competition in the system and be able to go disrupt some of these really entrenched extremists, uh, especially in deep red districts. You know, some of these MAGA races, the Democratic Party, the National Democratic Party has come to me and said, we can't win those races. We have no hope of winning in a deep red district. But can an independent go in? and defeat one of those MAGA extremists, they can So I think of this as another tool in democracy.
1: Swiss sort of right. like what Evan McMullen did in Utah?
2: Precisely. And, and look, you know, for those who weren't tracking Evan's race, he ran for the U.S. Senate against Mike Lee, right. uh, a constitutional conservative who I used to, you know, uh, look up to, and, and now <laughs> certainly no longer do because he tried to help overturn a legitimate election. So Evan ran as an independent, and incredibly, the Democratic Party in Utah looked at that race, and they said, we haven't won statewide in 50 years. Why don't we endorse Evan, the independent, and try to work together to beat Mike Lee? Now, Evan didn't win, but it was the most competitive Mm -hmm. Senate race in Utah in half a century and they came within a couple of percentage points of winning that race. I, I think that was the exemplar of how Democrats and independents can band together to go defeat an extremist. And I really hope with forward party we can do that in more places, is get independents together uh, and work with the pro-democracy side to go defeat uh, an entrenched extremist.
1: Is is there any idea about you uh, taking this forward party to the, to the extent of actually uh, – Presenting a candidate for the presidency, which could essentially, you know, maybe swing a a race to the Republicans because uh, people that are independents and moderates might vote for your candidate.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, my my Democratic friends breathe a sigh of relief whenever I tell them the answer is no. (laughs) I'm just I just we don't have any interest in or intent to run anyone in the president. Uh, in fact, we have affirmatively said as an organization, we're not running a presidential candidate in 2024. Uh, and that's not something that we can change our minds about six months from now. As, as you all know, Steve, Stephen, and Karen, mm-hmm. to undertake that sort of effort as a third-party apparatus, you got to build the infrastructure, mm-hmm. not now, but a year ago. Uh, it's massive. And so, no, we, we do not intend, in 24 to play in uh, the presidential with our own candidate now that doesn't mean that the forward party won't come out and endorse someone and you know our interest would be to endorse a candidate who reflects our values when it comes to democracy reform especially things like ranked choice voting uh and nonpartisan primaries and combating gerrymandering our whole existence is about trying to make the democratic process more competitive again mm. uh, because when there's more competition, there's competition the extremes tend to do pretty poorly and you know sensible common sense uh you know candidates win and so you know in the 24 presidential if there's a candidate who really supports those democracy reforms that's likely going to be the person that we end up getting behind
3: I know out here in the West where we can do, you know, citizens initiatives, of course, Arizona is making it harder and harder, but where those exist, um, there have been some initiatives in the past and probably in the future on those issues like open primaries, ranked choice voting. Are you looking to sort of, you know, play a role in in promoting those ideas in places where citizens can do initiatives?
2: Yeah, well, you know, here's the thing. We we want to go a step further than that, and the initiatives are great, and, and we've, you know, for in- for instance in Nevada uh, you know next door you know we're all aware of of you know proposition three that ran in this last cycle to, to introduce ranked choice voting we were very supportive of that we were involved in that effort but we want to go a step further and actually go get candidates elected to office that passionately believe in bringing those reforms to fruition and that's one of the gaps in the political marketplace that I noted is you know, there's a lot of, quote-unquote, pro-democracy groups out there, just loads and loads of nonprofits trying to go do the right thing. But at the end of the day, to get anything done in politics, politics is tribal. I mean, you'll never change it. James Madison, 250 years ago, wrote about the fact that politics is inevitably fiercely tribal and vicious. So rather than try to fix its cause, the founders tried to control its effects. In other mm-hmm. words, to you know, use the power of tribalism against itself. Um And that's one of the things we're going to try to do with forward party, is create this tribe of public officials who are going to go out there and fiercely fight for these democracy reforms. And, by the way, that's not just people with an F next to their name, which is what a forward candidate will have next to their name, um, which, by the way, I, I recognize the first forward candidate elected to office. People are going to say, what's the F? Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's forward. It's not D or R. It's not Democratic or Republican. Uh, but what, what's different about what we're doing with Ford is we're not just going to support forward candidates. We're going to support common sense Democrats and, uh, hopefully that handful of common sense Republicans becomes more than a handful. And we did that this last cycle is we went around the country and, and we spent a hell of a lot of money and time and effort to go back uh, you know, those moderate Republicans who were trying to reform the GOP away from the MAGA side, we supported a lot of uh, principled Democrats who were in vulnerable races against MAGA extremists uh, and independents. And even when we have forward candidates on the ballot in the future, we're going to keep doing that. And that's actually surprised people. But I think that's what's refreshing about this is if we don't have a candidate in the race, of course, we want to go support the good guy. And uh, and we're going to keep doing that in the future because there's a lot of Democrats out there uh, who support these democracy mm-hmm. reforms. And we want to go support them uh, in their fight to, uh, to hold on to public office.
0: I've been trying to get um, conservative uh, Republicans, regular Republicans, sensible Republicans to run for some time. And what they tell me, of course, is what is what, you know, and why you form the forward party, which is they can't get out of the primary. And uh, one of them gave me a really graphic example, a very popular guy who ran for office and just couldn't get out of the Republican primary. So this is an alternative. Um, are you going to have uh, 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 proposals? Are you going to have a platform for the forward party? Are you going to have a convention? Uh, how is it going to be in a practical sense?
2: Uh, These are all great questions, and and the answer to all is yes. Uh, What we really want to do is something that you hear a lot of people pay lip service to but never actually do, which is try to build this thing from the ground up. And usually when someone says that, your BS meter should go off because that usually means they're secretly building it from the top down. Um, But in our case, we actually really want the millions of Americans who – tens of millions who consider themselves political independents to shake this. And, you know, we're doing that with engagement across the country. So we already have tens of thousands of volunteers across all 50 states. I mean, literally every single week we've got people meeting in all 50 states. And, you know, when you see our email blast go out, it's just, you know, folks are forming these state parties on their own. We already have legal recognition in several U.S. states. By the end of next year, the party will have legal recognition in about 20 U.S. states. And that's almost entirely been done by everyday voters at the grassroots level. It's not some secret headquarters flying around getting party registration. It's just people who want an alternative. So next year, in 2023, we will have a convention, and you'll see a lot of forward candidates there, but you'll also see Democrats and Republicans there right. who want to affiliate with the forward party uh, but don't want to leave their party and want to signal that they're for those reforms. So uh, we'll be doing that. But if there's one way to think about it, I would consider us the anti-extremist party, which mm-hmm. is, you know, our slogan is not left, not right, forward. We don't agree with the far, far left on the issues. We don't agree with the far, far right. Uh, we, you know, issue for issue, we tend to align with the common sense majority
1: yeah miles um you know your points about the fifty percent of people who say they're independents plus your your comment about how we've become tribes is all well taken, but I want to throw a hypothetical at you Definitely. um let's uh, let's assume that the Democrats somehow even with a Republican house in the next uh cycle, are able to pass the voting reforms that they want the the voting reforms that they've been proposing. And that gerrymandering in the states where it's really, really bad is turned around. And the voter suppression that goes on in a number of states, like still happening in Georgia, all all became, uh, everything became more fair. Under, under a, an atmosphere like that, do you still think it would be a 50-50 country the way a lot of pundits say it is? Or would it become more of a 60-40 uh, leaning more more democratic and progressive?
2: Um, it's a great question. Yeah. I am going to even disagree with the premise of the question just for fun, Steve. Okay. Um, and, and then I want you to punch me in the face rhetorically. <laughs>
1: From more business,
2: I don't actually believe America is a 50-50 country, and I think that the illusion has led both the Democratic and Republican party to delude themselves into thinking that there's some mythical way for them to grab independent swing voters and become a permanent majority. Right. And, and one of the data points there is an obvious one, is that history tells us that that's insanely foolish. Mm. Uh, is, you know, it's always, you know, the pendulum's always going to swing back and forth, back and forth between the Democratic and Republican party um, there's never going to be a permanent democratic governing majority and same thing for the Republicans. So if you look at that, and if you accept just that one data point, it's enough to convince you, you want the other side to not be crazy (laughs) because at some point you're going to be governed by the other side. And so right now I do think the democratic party is, uh, is the the pro-democracy party Mm. in this country. But, uh, we're going to be under majority Republican rule, whether it's in a couple of years, uh, you know, or, or a few more than that. And so we want desperately the GOP to not be crazy and overridden by MAGA. So we want to see reform there. But that said, to get there, uh, we can't look at the country as just 50-50. In fact, there was a great study done called the Hidden Tribes Study, which found that really, the United States is broken into about nine ideological camps that span the spectrum from wow. far, far right, which they call the faith and flag conservatives. Uh, and you know, on the far left, they call it some version of progressives. Um, and, and you know, then in the center, there's the, uh, exhausted majority and there's a, there's a number of other tribes in there. And when you start to think of politics as a spectrum you realize that what we need to bring back is not just one stronger Democratic Party or one stronger Republican Party, is that we really need to bring back coalition campaigning, which is empowering those factions and getting them to work with each other, just like we see in the most advanced democracies uh, across Mm -hmm. the ocean, is we see much better coalition campaigning. And advanced democracies in Europe, for instance, tend to deal with extremism better, because what do extremists do? Instead of hijacking one of the two major political parties, they go form their own party. And their own party tends, after time, to wither. Uh, but if it doesn't want to wither, if it wants to be relevant, it's got to moderate its positions in order to go into coalition government with one of the others. So my view on this is that, you know, whether it's forward party or not, we've got to start empowering those factions within the American population so that, one, voters feel, feel like their views are represented, but two, in order to govern, those factions have to work together. And if we're just in a bipolar system, the 50 versus 50, uh, you've got this winner-take-all, you know, burn-it-all-down mm-hmm. uh, mentality. And that, unfortunately, applies sometimes to my friends in the Democratic Party.
0: Yeah, it's, it's structured that way, I think. Um, I don't sense a lot of um, aggravation in the Democratic Party now the uh the move to the left seems to have faded some, and the party seems i think partially is is, is having elected biden it, it seems to have moved more toward the center i don't see the conflict within the party and i've you know been active in politics here for twenty years um that that, that i i saw even two years ago three years ago what i see is uh sort of the the democratic party sort of calming and centering for a, for a lot of purposes. How would that affect what you're doing? Because that makes, I would think, I'm thinking it over, but I think that that would make it, it seem like there would be less conflict in, in actual practical issues.
2: Well, look, I, I think that would be a good thing. And certainly if the Democratic Party is not at war with itself, uh, that's a positive for all Americans, even if they're not Democrats. Is I think we want our two major parties to be representative enough of the views of their members that those members don't feel like they've got to rip the thing to shred, like happened in my party, the Republican Party, uh, which has now I think fully been hijacked by the extremist wing, and the you know disaffected conservatives have been left homeless. That's not good for any American, because again, like I said before, at some point they're going to be governed again by the Republican Party, and would they rather it be a MAGA Republican Party or one that's got a diverse membership and the moderating influence of multiple positions? So, yeah. if if that happens to the Democratic Party, I think it's a good thing for America. But I'm not sure that's where voters are, uh, and and that's what I think we need to worry about. Is you know, I think it was just a, a little, uh, a couple of months ago, there was a USA Today poll that found that only one in four voters in this country. Reported believing either the Democratic or Republican Party was good enough to represent them. Just one in four. That's pretty bad. And that's about as low as those polls have ever shown. And I think the worrying thing is it's not just how it's reflected among Americans. We see as the two parties have become less ideologically diverse, we see it reflected in Congress. So there was uh, also Pew data that showed. That in the early 1970s, uh, you had a lot more moderates in Congress. In fact, in 1971, uh, according to Pew's analysis, there were about 160 mm-hmm. so-called moderates in Congress on the Democratic and Republican side. But since then, according to their analysis, Democrats have become more liberal, Republicans have become much more conservative, and the moderates have neared extinction. So yeah. now that number, that 160, is down to a dozen. is you now assesses that according to those metrics, uh there's about a dozen moderates. That's really alarming and it's happened on both the right and the left. So I think it's shown that both the parties are becoming gradually more ideologically extreme and you've got that hollowed out center, that exhausted majority that wants to see the pendulum swing back. And look, you know, part of that might be competitive third parties, like the forward party to swing the pendulum back, but a part of it is also going to be factions within both of the two major parties that try to keep the balance of power uh, towards the middle. And I, and I really hope those factions in both the Democratic and Republican parties are successful.
0: How long do you think, uh, this is a speculative question, how long do you think the MAGMA Republicans will re- control the Republican Party? Do you think the Republican Party is is now done, uh, that, um, that uh, standard Republicans just can't, can't get elected, or do you think the party will shift back to a more moderate uh, position? Uh, forward party is aimed at at pressuring them indirectly, right, to to more moderation.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, that's one of the things we really want to do. And by the way, you know, also in Democratic races, I mean, y'all would be surprised uh, at the, some of the national Democrats who've come to us and said, you know, a third party could really help us out, as in the Democrats. By taking out some more extreme members. And, you know, this is a, this is a model that can also apply on the left. If the left has, you know, super far left folks that don't represent the common sense majority at all, well, yeah, you know, the, the Republicans might not be able to beat them in a deep, deep blue district, but a former Democrat running as an independent might be able to do that. So, you know, that's, that's always a possibility. But I think to your point, the, the bigger concern about the GOP, which I really think is, the biggest threat to democracy right now is my former party the republican party i don't see the pendulum swinging back anytime soon i do believe this is a generational threat and here's why because it's not just the upper echelon of the republican party that have been brainwashed and you know some people get uh, nauseous at me bringing up these numbers all the time but you've got to look at what's happened to the base the big lie is of course an example That normally would have been a fringe conspiracy theory. But now three-fourths of Republican voters believe it. Same thing with QAnon. Normally would be a fringe theory. But now 50% of Republican voters subscribe to the core tenets of QAnon. Or how about the great replacement theory that whites are secretly being Mm -hmm. overrun by people from, quote-unquote, third-world countries, that Democrats are trying to sneak into the country to, you know, destroy the voting base, uh, 50% of Republicans now believe that, too. So the voting base has been radicalized, and that's not something that changes again overnight. You know, once people develop an entrenched view, they tend to hold on to it. I mean, we don't need science to tell us that. Any of us, it's pretty hard to change our views on anything. And so you get, you brainwash tens of millions of Republicans. It's basically going to take generations moving on to replace that. So I do think the Republican Party uh, is hijacked by MAGA and will be uh, for at least the next decade, probably longer. And it's going to take quite some time to excise that out of the system.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, Miles, you gave me a great setup for what I wanted to talk to you about next. And that's, you know, I have a medium blog where I write, write political essays. And about a month before the 2016 election, I did a piece where I said, And I was assuming that Hillary was going to win. But my column was about even if Hillary wins, the biggest threat to the country was the white supremacy movement. And here we are, you know, six, seven years later. And I think it's more of a threat than ever. And when I get into conversations with Democratic friends who, you know, rail at the universe and say, why are the Republicans doing this? Why are they this way or that way? Or why do they support insurrection? My response is always, it's a white supremacy becoming more and more Christian nationalist party. That's the agenda. And everything trumps that. So, you know, all of their policy positions are kind of based on the white supremacy that they're fostering now. Um, I don't see that changing, especially given the leadership in the House and the Senate. I mean, what's your take on that?
2: Yeah, I don't see it changing either. And, you know, here's the thing that you guys have probably heard from, you know, your Republican friends, which is they don't think of themselves as white supremacists. But it doesn't matter because the fringe of the party is what's taken over. Mm-hmm. And, and and I want to go back to that study that I mentioned, the, the Hidden Tribe study. This was done by a group called More in Common. And one of the things that they found, and again, maybe not surprising to anyone who has a pulse, is that the extremes are in charge of the public discourse. And, and specifically, the data that they found on social media was that the far right, uh, 8% of the population or so, and the far left, 6% of the population, are the most prolific sharers on social media. Something like, I think it was something like 70% of the sharing is done by that cohort. Also, those two extremes are statistically the whitest and richest parts of the country, which basically suggests that America is being torn apart by a battle between two subsets of the elite who are not representatives of broader society. And on the Republican side, that's ended up being this very vocal, very angry uh, white Supremacist fringe, which now, even though it only represents a sliver of society, I really don't think most Republicans are bigots. They're just not. I mean, I lived in the Republican Party, and, and most of you know, the vast majority of my colleagues weren't bigots, but it didn't matter because the fringe that was bigots took over the party.
3: And they did. Both- and-
2: in our government, sorry, go ahead, Kara.
3: Um, the sort of a, there's a, a Congress has sort of been allowed that idea. We you know, here in Arizona, most of our Republican congressmen are members of the Freedom you know, Caucus and have been. And you know they were extreme Tea Party members when they became the Freedom Caucus, and they've been that way for years. And it seems that the Republican leadership in Congress has sort of encouraged that by this idea that we can put no legislation forward unless every single Republican, from the moderates that are left to the extreme crazies, are all in favor of it. And you know almost any piece of legislation, you just don't get 100 percent. People are going to support anything. And it's an area that's sort of in the past when the more extreme parts of both parties would sort of, you know, the Speaker of the House, the you know, leader of the Senate would sort of ignore those guys and and pick up a few of the other party to get a majority. And this yeah. idea, this sort of fake Hastert rule that when Hester was Speaker of the House, that I won't put a bill forward unless every Republican's going to vote for it. You know, that that pushes that gives those extreme people. An extreme um, right, right amount of power. We're looking right now at Marjorie Taylor Greene sort of dictating the course of the Congress because then uh, McCarthy is going to need her to become Speaker. And that's sort of crazy. I mean, this idea that you can never ask five members of the opposing party to vote yes to pass your bill. You know, that's, yeah. and that's, yeah. you know, the country may be at the base sort of crazy to some degree, but it's coming from the top on this idea that party unity is more important than reality to go back to your
0: point for just one second that um that is the extremes that are most active when we advertised out your program 95% of it were extreme right wingers uh we had one um who commented on our on our uh, website uh page on our facebook page all of them were uh, yeah ninety five percent and and then one fellow I had a dialogue was a a left conspiracy theory who you know but that's who responded not regular republicans, not democrats, not liberals, not ordinary conservatives, but these raging. Extremists who, who who happened to see our ads that we were all all the ad basically said and and Stephen wrote it was that we were having you on the show and we were going to interview you and we got rage everywhere. Oh boy.
2: Well, it's Stephen. Uh, honestly, at the end of the day, it's Stephen's fault. Uh, no, Stephen, shame on you for even writing that ad.
1: <laughs> I, I, I just, I just like riling those people up. <laughs> well, you know, and, and this
2: is this is the thing. One, it's obvious why that is the way it is. Is you know, they're they're very scared to be called out, right. and it's even scarier to be called out by one of your own. And make no mistake, I'm sure I'm more conservative ideologically conservative than any one of those people that posted. But because I know what I'm talking about, I'm a small L libertarian, that's Friedrich Hayek, Milton Friedman. I mean, if we actually talked political philosophy, philosophy today, Steve, Stephen, and Karen, you guys would be like, oh, man, this guy is way too conservative for me. But I also have this very peculiar quirk, which is that I'm comfortable with disagreement, and then still respecting people. You're, <laughs> you're, you're actually... You're, the, the thing that's vanished yeah. from my former party is the ability to disagree respectfully. And the extremes, it's one of the reasons why they've just resorted to violence. And, and, and that's not hyperbole. Uh, I no. say that as a national security professional, the data is showing that political intimidation and violence are off the charts. We saw it, of course, with Nancy Pelosi's husband, We saw it with the insurrection. We've seen it, you know, with these individuals who've tried to attack FBI field offices in response to Donald Trump's calls. Uh, And we see it in the mass population that one in four Americans now believe that violence is sometimes justified against the government. That's off the charts. Uh, Ten percent of Americans uh, believe force is justified against the government now. These are really, really scary numbers, and in the country right now, to me, uh, is like dry gunpowder, just getting ready to be lit. And that's mm-hmm. what I really worry about. But I'm going to give you guys uh, a controversial opinion here, which is I'm actually not going to blame the extremes. And I don't consider any of the three of you extremes. I don't consider myself the extremes. I think we would probably put ourselves in the common sense part of that Venn diagram. Uh, I'm going to blame us. And here's something that i found that's been very interesting the past couple of years is we all have had a sense that, you know, our peers are scared of getting canceled. People are scared of saying their views because the extremes have put pressure on them. But there was this other study, and you guys are going to laugh at me later I'll be like, man, Miles came on. All I did was cite studies. But, <laughs> but I've been thinking about this a lot. There was this study by this think tank called Populous, Populous Insights, and they came out nonpartisan think tank, and they found uh, what we all know to be true, but they put data to it, which is that Democrats and Republicans that are on the far fringes of their party are the most likely to speak their minds and tell you what they actually think. And independents, which make up the majority of the population, are the ones who report false opinions publicly. In other words, the pressure to misrepresent their private views and to offer answers on politically and very socially sensitive questions that are out of sync with their true beliefs was completely pervasive. That when they respond to questions, they tend to say the thing that they think is not going to get them canceled or in trouble or piss off the extreme. In other words, and this is really rich coming from me, uh, independent voters are becoming anonymous. The majority of Americans are becoming anonymous. And to me, that's a hidden threat.
1: Is that does that equal apathy? I
2: I, I say that as anonymous.
1: (laughs) Yeah, does that does that equal apathy, or is it just that they're not being vocal about how they feel? It's fear.
2: Uh, You know, you, you dive deeper into these studies and you find that people are very afraid of the phenomenon of getting canceled and getting attacked. And why wouldn't they be? I mean, one in three local election officials this past cycle said they feared on the job. Why are, why are poll workers fearing for their safety? Because the environment's become so contentious. And so everyday voters are afraid to express their true opinion. The result, of course, if the common-sense majority is quite literally censoring themselves, if they're quite literally doing what I did and donning a figurative mask and becoming anonymous, well, yeah, that's going to empower the extremes even more. So I actually point the finger uh, towards us. And, and I think people need to be more vocal. Uh, and, and pushing back, because there is strength in numbers, and that applies just as much as it does to courage as it does to cowardice.
0: It, it always took a certain amount of courage uh, back before the, because I'm in sort of older American, uh, back before the Civil Rights Movement, mm-hmm. you'd hear a racist comment, and if you were a white person, that always put you on the spot. Were you going to disagree? Were you going to get in a fight with a person? Were you going to be the subject of a lot of people disliking you? Or were you going to say what you thought? And I think a lot of us were sometimes very courageous and sometimes not so much. Yeah, but you didn't have social media to worry about. We didn't have social media to worry about. But what I see the change is. We never wanted to destroy Republicans. We never wanted to kill a bunch of Republicans. We never wanted to deport them somewhere else. We just disagreed with them. And we thought we had a better way to run the country. Mm -hmm. And that's what de Tocqueville saw. He saw people who argued passionately, violently even, but at the end of the day, all saw that they were Americans sort of in the same boat. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, Part of what we've lost.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I look. I've got to dis- not disagree. I've got to agree with that strongly, and and you know one of the lessons that I think we can take from other periods of political instability overseas, uh, and more specifically, violent extremist movements, which is w- what I've spent most of my career focused on. Is spent most of my career in counterterrorism and focused on violent extremist movements overseas. And one of the most common themes is that it starts off with a belief that the system is broken. And once people believe that the political system no longer can peacefully express their views, then it jumps the tracks into violence. Uh, and then you see conspiracy theories start to justify the violence, and it takes off. It follows the same pattern almost every single time. Uh, and here in the United States, we are seeing those worrying, blinking red light indicators that people don't trust the system. In 2017, there was a WAPO, a Washington Post poll, and 70% of Americans said the political system was at, quote, a dangerous low point. Then in 2019, two-thirds of voters in another poll said significant changes were needed to the fundamental structure of American government. And even after Trump left office, this year a majority of Americans told NPR that the American democracy was, quote, in crisis and at risk of failing. Mm -hmm. That's really what worries me, is when a majority of the country thinks the system is broken, it makes it so much easier to heed the calls of the far extremes. And right now, it's mostly the far right saying we've got to take up arms. And I, I don't mean to... You know, stoke fear here. I think this is just the reality we have to confront. It's gotten that bad, so we have to look at ways to create those pressure release valves. And again, that goes back to the beginning of our conversation. It's one of the reasons that I was involved in starting Forward Party. Is it was like, okay, well, if you can't convince these disaffected folks to go over to the Democratic Party if they fight for democracy, can you create pressure release valves uh, with new political parties to convince people? that there are other options to have their views represented through the political system. And for us, it's that sort of disaffected group of independents making sure that they feel like there's a political home. Uh, And sometimes that'll mean us caucusing with the Democrats and sometimes, you know, with moderate Republicans. But that's a really important pressure release valve we need to create. It's giving people more optionality to engage peacefully in the Democratic process.
1: Miles, in the few minutes, couple of minutes we have left, um, the elephant in the room, no pun intended, is that after we get off this call, I think we're all going to be doing the same thing. And that's probably watching today's January 6th hearing about the criminal referrals against Trump. So there are three yep. referral items, obstructing an official proceeding, defrauding the government and insurrection. What do you think is going to happen?
2: I think they're going to recommend a referral on all three. And I think I'm in the minority on that. A lot of legal scholars believe that the insurrection bar is really high and that they might not do that. I I think that you've got Liz Cheney behind the scenes saying that the facts are there, that there was a 50-state nationwide conspiracy. The president was aware of it. Um, and, And I do hope that they make that recommendation to the Justice Department. But, you know, the one thing... I want to push back on that you'll always hear from the right is this is silly this is symbolic this is just partisan Mm -hmm. it's none of those things uh this is a bipartisan commission liz Liz cheney is about as a rock-ribbed conservative as you can get and i think she looks forward to the day where you know democrats again oppose her on all the policy issues right um but this this is the the select committee's work.
0: We're has out of time, Miles. The Justice
2: huh? Department, yeah. and um, and I think we're going to see charges.
0: Yeah, we're out of time, Miles. I mean, forty five minutes uh, goes quickly. We really enjoy talking to you. Uh, we want to take a minute to thank the uh, Democrats of the Red Rocks for their for support, the Avapai Democratic Party, uh, Steve Segner's El Portal, um, and and all the folks that contribute to our show because. We have to buy airtime, and that's, that's how we spend the money. No one's ever taken a salary. No one's ever gotten any benefit from the show except doing it in itself. Thank you for being with us. All these shows are available on our website listening to democratic perspective brought to you by the verde valley independent democrats a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the verde valley sedona northern arizona and our nation at large catch us every monday morning after the 8 a.m news right here on am 780 kazm it's beautiful out there folks have a great day